All right, good morning, good morning, people. Welcome, Joe's not here, but I'll do what Joe does. Welcome to Men's Roundtable, glad you're here. Uh, glad to hear <laughs> I gotta work on my, my Joe impersonation. Uh, Phil and the gang are up in Wyoming, is that right? In, in Wyoming? Uh, South Dakota? Somewhere up west. <laughs> And they're uh, they're having a week of uh, of good times. I can remember I've been on a few of those trips. I can remember my first deer camp. Uh, for those of you who have gone and not, uh, there's times in our life where one wheel may get off the road a little bit, and we got to kind of correct uh, the system. Uh, and so I remember that. I remember that well. I still think about that. And I remember going on these summer trips, and it was an opportunity to like really like form some good friendships and so like I come in in the mornings here or when I go to deer camp I see those guys I'm like I know you and you know me and that's a good feeling and here's the same kind of thing we try to build that uh, on Thursday mornings hopefully you walk in and you feel like hey I know you and you know me I know you I know where you work <laughs> but uh this morning we're just going to have a, a good uh, a good morning. Ben's here again, and uh, as you know, Ben is just uh, gifted with uh, with what he does and how he ministers, and um, I'm I'm excited because I always benefit from it. I, I want to read to you. Uh, Phil has encouraged um, Joe to kind of read a little bit from the scriptures as he does his introduction, and and so this morning my morning prayer that I do um, part of the, uh, the the office the hours the morning prayer. The Psalm was 108, and it says, my heart is ready, oh God, my heart is ready. Now just think about the man who wrote this and what he was feeling. He said, my heart is ready, oh God, I will sing, I will sing your praise, awake my soul, I will awake the dawn. I will thank you, Lord, among the peoples, among the nations, I will praise you, for your love reaches to the heavens and your truth to the skies. O God, arise above the heavens, may your glory shine on earth. O come and deliver your friends. Help with your right hand and reply. From this holy place, God has made this promise. I will triumph and divide the land. I will measure out the valley. So with that, let's open in prayer. Come up here, Ben. All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Uh, we thank you for the opportunity to gather in a free country uh, under the security of the ability to gather and, and talk about you and praise you. It's something we never take for granted. I ask that you be with us today. Uh, be with Ben. Uh, just speak through him. And, um, it's your kindness that draws us to you, God. It's your truth. And I ask that you just uh, continue to deliver that through Ben because you've given that, both of those, so graciously to be with us today. We ask this in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, gentlemen. All right, we're going to keep with the pattern, as I say every time Phil invites me in. Uh, I don't know, invitation is kind of a soft word. Tells me that I'm going to be here on a Thursday morning when he's uh, traveling. Um, we're going we're gonna to start with some music, a departure from the normal uh, rhythm, it's going to be a song that's very masculine. 
yeah, one that you would probably actually listen to again if uh, if that music is your flavor. So we're going to start with the song that uh, captured my attention because it trends towards action. As you listen to it, I want you to think about the lack of victimhood or victim mentality in this song, the honesty and the lack of being a victim. Love a trio. So check this song out.
So are you looking to get off the side of the road, gentlemen? I have unfortunate news for you. Maybe step one is starting to tell yourself the truth. All right. Makes sense. A little temperature for the morning. Everybody, you're going to brace yourself. Look, if you've had your biscuit, you're not up for this. You are welcome to like sneak out, like pretend like you got a work call. All right. That's fine. Nobody's going to judge you. But we're going to move into some difficult places today because I think in those difficult places, God does some of his best work. I don't, we don't amen much here. That's kind of a church thing to do. But you, you agree, right? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to start practicing being honest with ourselves and a little bit of journaling with a pen and a piece of paper or your iPhone. That's fine. I just want to take you internal before you start learning external things. This is a problem we have inside of our Jesus following communities. You haven't taken an inward journey. We start giving you external information. It's got no soft place to land. It doesn't stick. That's why about 11 o'clock today, you're like, wait, what did we talk about this morning? That's how that happens, right? So we're going to go internal. You guys are going to journal a little bit. If you're joining us on the podcast, let me just formally apologize uh, for the silence that is about to ensue, but also to challenge you if you're listening in your vehicle or at the gym to think about these questions along with the men present. All right, here we go. We've got three questions. You ready, man? Yeah. Ready? All right, here we go. Question one. Where have you departed from a staunch commitment to reality? Where have you departed from a staunch commitment to reality? It's my definition of health. If that question doesn't strike you as right, rephrasing it this way. Where do you need to come to your senses? Where do you need to come to your senses? Forewarning, in just a minute, I'm going to ask a few of you at Men's Roundtable that are brave to speak up. It doesn't have to be a lengthy answer, but I do want to hear from you. Push a little deeper into the idea. Where do you need to come to your senses? The truth comes to us from many different places. Sometimes even places we don't like. For those of you who like to go back and think about these questions in light of the biblical narrative, I would encourage you towards Psalm 32. Psalm 32, Psalm traditionally linked with Psalm 51 we've discussed in this room together. All right, just a few. Where have you departed from reality? Where do you need to come to your senses? Anybody? Okay, say more. Okay, I can go there. The reality is God's actually listening. God's with us. God's with us. Oh my gosh, Colin's here. God, welcome, man. God is with us. 
Speak truth there. I agree with both of you. Where have you departed from reality? That's a scary thing to say out loud, isn't it? I get it. Any hanger men want to sound off? Hmm. Anybody got a pet fantasy? That's a weird thing to say in front of a group of men, isn't it? It's true, though, isn't it? We've all got it. We've all got it. All right. Fair enough. Question one. Question two. How would you describe God's physical posture or his emotions towards you when you fail? How would you describe God's physical posture or his emotions towards you when you fail? Mm, I failed plenty. Maybe that's my problem, but I failed plenty. I would agree with you that he uses those failures. It turns them into something holy as redemptive, but first I fail. No, no, what you feel internally. I know that we know the truth. Well, that's honest. They're both honest. I'm not surprised. Disappointed. Disappointed. Done it again. Good. Gosh almighty. Mad. Yeah. Yep. Anybody else? Appreciate your honesty there, Tim. Anybody just want to ditto, Tim? Ditto. Ditto. Uh, you know, not to get too, uh, what does Rome call it? Psycho babble? Let's call it Rome babble. How about that? <laughs> uh, just Rome babble. Um, a lot of what we put on God is there because of the authorities that raised us. Just be aware of that. For those of you that are Bible people and you want to correct a little bit of that, Deuteronomy chapter 30, the whole thing. Deuteronomy chapter 30 will help you correct some of those things that you know are wrong, but you still feel anyway. You need to hear the voice of God, not the voice of your father when you failed, or grandfather, or single mom, or whoever it may have been. All right, do you have the emotional space for one more? Okay. I'm still I'm stuck on one, but if the three feels appropriate. On a scale from one to ten, how comfortable are you with consequence, scale from one to 10. How comfortable are you with consequence? Can you add zero to that? <laughs> yeah, you may go negative. Okay, can you say more? 
going into a sin, the consequences sometimes you don't think about it mm -hmm. versus after maybe that negative one. But one before might be you're not thinking about it. That's right. And you're not thinking about it after you can change as far as consequences for what you've done. Yeah. Roger, that can get kind of to your fantasy. Fan the consequence is really difficult to see in fantasy. Then after it lands at a, I'm very uncomfortable with this. That's what they say, right? Yeah. You you realize the cost later. One of the scariest verses in the Old Testament to me is that the sins of the Father are visited on future generations. That just kind of rocks my little world to think that my sins, my children, are going to be yeah, we're getting somewhere now, aren't we? Maybe that scale would say if, if you had a number for you, it's one thing. But when you look at your son and you see in his reaction, your reaction to your father, when your father did that same thing. That is a consequence that we become uncomfortable with. What do we do with that consequence? You turn around. It stops here. This stops here, right? It gave grace and hope to love. Yep. I mean, Colin, like, you're still my thunder, brother. <laughs> yeah. So these are just things to think about, gentlemen. And, and look, notice how comfortable or uncomfortable you are in thinking in this way. Right? If I were to ask you three questions about the thing that you're going to do the rest of the day as a job, how proficient and comfortable would you feel? How uncomfortable did these questions make you? Okay. And that's just for you to determine. You don't have to share that. I just want you to notice the feeling as you interact with these deep inner questions. If the journey to God is an inward journey and we are constantly, constantly feeling like we don't know how to take an inward journey, then how are we supposed to find God? That's why it's so much easier to follow in. Look, listen, I love giving speeches. I make a living giving speeches. But it's why it's so easy for us to hear speeches after speech, after speech, after speech and they don't land. And then we get frustrated because we know we've heard the information, but we have a lot of trouble putting that information into play because we haven't gone to the inward place, the inward place. Uh, I say often, it's what's inside of us that drives us. Huge truth there. So if what's inside of me is driving me, I wanna know what that is. How about, how about you? It's scary as hell, but I wanna know what's in there, right? You can't face it alone. So let's start with this big question this morning. Today, actually, we're going to be facing, for the rest of our time, we're going to be facing anger. Facing anger. Uh, I would bet that most of us in this room have had experience with that emotion, correct? Give me a nod, yes, no? Yeah. We'll get to more of this later. But the big question we're starting with today is, if the world is such a difficult place to live in, and it is, and it's getting more difficult for those of us that are masculine, and are trying to be Jesus followers and are trying to love other people well. It's not getting easier, is it, gentlemen? We have to recognize that fact. So in, in light of the song that we heard about getting back on the road, in light of the community that we've experienced this morning, and especially in light of all that, is, that God has done for us, the big question this morning is, how are we supposed to live? How should we live? Hebrews 13. For this world is not our permanent home. We're looking forward to a home yet to come. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. 
There's a challenge here, men, to understand that everything that we're chasing today, everything that we're going to accumulate for the rest of our lives, it's temporary. As a pastor, I've yet to preach a funeral where we stopped and everyone in the crowd got a stack of that man's money and piled it up behind his corpse in the box. Somebody else got that. In the end, it was just the man standing in front of God. We have to acknowledge also that there's a way that we drive a car that we're just renting and a way we drive a car that we own. You ever been there? Two different things. I want to tell you this morning, this is just an aside. This is why it's never a good idea to make a permanent decision in a temporary situation. Ever a good idea to make a permanent decision in a temporary situation. Suicide is a very permanent decision in a very temporary situation. The Bible tells us that God's mercies are new every morning. You're not going to be able to reach out and get that new mercy if you choose to not see the next morning. In a room this size, there are men who have contemplated that more than we like to admit over chicken and biscuit. Do not make that permanent decision in a temporary situation. With me so far? So let's get really close to Jesus here because we got to speed through a lot of this. I want you to get this information, this formula that I think is going to help you interact with your anger because you most certainly will have it probably even today. Jesus says, everyone who hears what I say and does it will be like a wise person who built his house on a rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, they beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, they beat against the house and it fell. And it was a great fall. My proposal to us this morning is that we've got a choice. Jesus gives us a choice, rock or sand. Let me tell you what we don't have a choice about. How hard and how long it rains. How strong the winds are. We don't have a choice on that. Hasn't your life proven that? You have much less control than you want to deceive yourself into believing. It's during the storms where you realize that. We don't have a choice in that. What we do have a choice in is where we build, what we build upon. It's not a popular teaching, but here it goes anyway. Everybody ready? There are forces out there much larger than us much larger than Russia and Ukraine, much larger than the U.S. and China. There are forces out there much larger than us, and those forces are engaged in a cosmic supernatural battle. And that supernatural battle infects and invades our daily lives. We have too small of a scope as men today. We just think it's about the house note. I've been trapped in this for probably nine months myself. It's about the house note and the truck payment and the braces and the doctor's visit. And the enemy just puts our face so close to the work that we miss the global scale of the war between good and evil. You don't believe this, read the book of Daniel. Daniel prays, God help. An angel shows up, Michael, and says, hey, God heard you a couple of weeks ago. It's just taking me that long to fight through all this crap that you can't see just to get to you. Don't be discouraged. God heard you and he sent me, but I've had some trouble getting to you. So if you're in your life and you're like, oh my gosh, how's this going to work out? It's been 72 whole hours and my wife is still mad at me. What are we going to do? Hang in there. We have a choice how we build. The way that we build is going to determine how we go about living our lives. Jesus says that listening to him and doing what he says is the only way forward that makes sense. That's a big statement. 
The only way forward that makes sense is listening to Jesus and, and what he says. So we're going to dive into a little bit of what Jesus says today. I want, I want to do this just as a piece of confession before we get there. Listening to Jesus and doing what he says is the hardest thing I've ever tried to do. As much as my preachers growing up made it sound so easy on Sunday morning in their suits and ties, it's the hardest thing I have ever... Anybody with me on that? Listening to Jesus in the first place, then secondly, actually doing what he's asking me to do, the hardest thing I've ever tried to do. See, when I, when I investigate further my ability to sin, I'm much less shocked when another man sins. Here's what I continue to be shocked by. We're not going to go on this whole speech because Rome's not here and we couldn't handle it anyway. Here's what I'm shocked by, though. Let's just take it outside of the church. The Jesus-following man operating at Company X today who walks around shocked at another person's sin, that another person is missing the mark. It makes me wonder, how well does that man know himself? I believe we have a lot of Jesus-following men who believe that sin is foreign to them, living in a glass house and throwing rocks. You know a few of those guys? We need to take them behind the woodshed. They're making it harder for the rest of us, aren't they? When I investigate my ability to sin, how easy it is, I'm less shocked at the sin of others. So this morning, we're going to talk about anger. We're going to engage with anger. We're going to be, do the best we can to be honest about anger. Because when it comes to the teachings of Jesus that are the most difficult for me to follow, this would be number one. The Bible warns us about the dangers of anger. Unfortunately, today, it seems to be the most commonly expressed emotion, both with the Jesus-following man and the non-believer. They both look the same when they start to experience anger. All right, so you ready to be honest about what anger uh, is? Why it's so attractive? Uh, did, I, did I lose you? I know it's early. Why is anger so attractive? First, it's exhilarating, isn't it? Let's describe it this way. It's the adrenaline of finally giving in. Many days I feel like Sam Elliott because a man can dream, can he? Sam Elliott, what a dude. You know what I mean? I feel like him in 1883 where he's sitting in that bar and he's struggling over the loss of his past. And a, and a woman comes up and starts tempting him to take advantage of him. And then after that, a man moves over because he's going to defend. And then Sam Elliott gets up and he pulls his pistol out and he puts it right up under the man's throat. And he says, you know what I'm doing here today? Have you seen this scene? Actually, he says something like, you know what I'm doing here today? It's one of those kind of things. And you're like, oh my gosh, he's about to kill this man. He's got the gun right up under his chin. He says, you know what I'm doing here today? I'm looking for a reason. You're going to be my reason? It was so cool on that show. I can confirm to you, and so can Tim Bell, because he was standing beside me when I did it. It doesn't work that well in Lowe's. <laughs> it really doesn't. I was almost arrested that day over a carpet cleaning machine, but it happened. It's exhilarating because when this sort of thing is bubbling beneath the surface, it can feel so good to finally vent and let it out. There's a rush in expressing anger. Here's the deal. This physical feeling, though, can lead us into engaging a fight that we would embarrass to watch on video later. It is exhilarating, though. That's what makes it so attractive. Secondly, it's very effective. 
Many of us have developed the pattern of getting big and angry when we want to get our way. Predominantly because we were taught in our homes growing up how to be anger experts. Anybody ever teach you how to be embarrassed well? Probably not. Yeah. No, I didn't say teach to embarrass you. I meant how to be embarrassed well. Many people that we grew up with, uh, they taught us how to navigate anger and to be really, really good at it. It's the emotion they were comfortable with. And over time, the metrics show us that we have a greater chance of getting our way when we get angry. Here's how this equation goes. The more angry we get, the more likely it is that we get what we want. In the end, a man who is giving in to the effectiveness of anger in this way doesn't care about being connected. He just wants to be right. Here's how this plays out. I know it's my church now. I don't have to stay here. I'll go somewhere else. I know you're my SEAL team now. You're my group of friends now. I don't have to stay here. I can go somewhere else. I know you're my wife now, but guess what? You don't have to stay my wife now. I can get another one, right? We're not worried about being connected. We just want to be right because our anger is so effective. All right, here's the last one. Ready for the third one? I don't know why preachers do that. It just like naturally happens, writing things down in threes. I need to break that habit. Third one, it's easy. Anger's easy. All right, stay with me on this. I'm, I'm watching time. Stay with me on this. It may strike you as odd, but here's what I mean. Anger often serves as camouflage over the emotions that are more difficult to engage with. Again, embarrassed, difficult. Anger, easy. Sad, difficult. Anger, easy. Make sense? It's so much easier to be angry because we're so much better at it. As a word of caution here, if you're in the room with us and you're an addict, first of all, thank God you're here. But let me just tell you that this easy anger strategy can have larger implications. We don't view it this way most times, but anger can be an addiction trigger. Because here's what happens. Anger offers relief because it's easy and exhilarating and venting, but eventually that anger dies down and we need some other form of relief. We get tired of using anger for avoidance, so we pick up something else. Think about the last time you gave in to substance, too much substance. Prior to that, were you really angry? Were you sad and using anger to cover? It's kind of detailed teaching that may not be for all of us, but for those of you that need it, please tune in. James chapter 1, this is a brother of Jesus. Human anger does not produce righteousness. Somebody tell the church. Human anger does not produce righteousness. If you want change to occur around you, I would encourage you. We're going to get to this in just a moment. Anger is not, not the path to change. Jesus showed us that in his life here. So there's no better story to talk about anger, I believe, than the story that we have falsely named the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son is a player it's actually a story of a loving father. I believe the men who were over this trying to name it maybe didn't have the courage to say that because maybe they had some deficiencies in their story. This is a story that shows us what happens when anger starts to take charge. That's the story. Now, for those of you that have, that have grown up in the church and, and you remember felt boards, I see a lot of gray hair. You guys know remember felt boards, right? I'm just jealous because I, I won't have hair to turn gray. Don't take that offense. 
If you grew up in church and you know this story, watch what I'm about to do. I'm about to take this story and show something new to you because this is a parable, a story of Jesus Christ. And those stories have no bottom. The more you investigate them, the more you learn about God. The more you investigate them, the more you learn about yourself. That's why these stories, they're, they're supernatural. They're living and active and have spiritual significance. I want to encourage you, if you have a story in the Bible, you're like, yeah, I've been hearing that my whole life. Dig in. Dig in. That could be a story that God's trying to teach you something new through. All right. I'm going to read it uh, word for word because this is a story that Jesus told, and I'm, I'm pretty convinced I can't say it better than him. Okay? We're going to actively read this. Jesus stands up in front of a religious crowd one day. Now, catch the context. He's sitting among a group of religious people, and he chooses to tell the story. Why would he do that? Why would he tell a story that helps people correct what a loving God looks like over anger as he's looking at a group of religious people who, in their anger over Jesus' disruption of their status and status quo, they eventually have him murdered, too cowardice to do it themselves. They go through the Roman government that had been oppressing them, by the way. This is how much they hated Jesus. This is how much anger was ruling their heart. And he's got an opportunity to speak to them directly. And he tells this story. Isn't that fascinating? There once was a man who had two sons. The younger said to the father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me. Idiot. Have you ever said that in your life? I want right now what's coming to me. Oh boy. So the father divided the property between them. It wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country. If you ever wondered in your life, why isn't God providing more in my story right now? It could be because if he provided more, you would instantly leave him. There, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything he had. After he had gone through all of his money, there was a bad famine. That's when those kind of things happen. All through that country, he began to feel it. He signed on with a citizen there who assigned him to his fields to slop the pigs. He was so hungry, he would have eaten the corn cobs and the pig slop, but no one would give him any. And that brought him to his senses. How comfortable are you with consequence? Where have you departed from reality? The younger said, all those farmhands working for my father sit down to three square meals a day, and here I am starving to death. I'm going back to my dad. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. He got right up and went home to his father. How do you view God's posture towards you when you fail? When he was still a long way off, beautiful part of the story, his father saw him, his heart pounding. He ran out. He embraced his son. He kissed his son. And the son started his speech. Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. And the father interrupts the speech. Big point here today, gentlemen. You do not have the right to dictate how God the Father sees you in your failure. That's not your job. God sees us in our failure the way he wants to see us in our failure, 
while we are a long way off and according to Jesus Christ, it is God's desire to run towards us, heart pounding to embrace us and kiss us and give us status again. That's great news, isn't it, man? He interrupted, the father interrupts the speech. There's no need to finish this speech. Stop talking about what you don't deserve. The father, I love this part of the story. The father wasn't listening. He called to the servants, quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put a family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Get a prize-winning heifer and roast it. We're going to feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here, given up for dead and now alive. Given up for lost and now found. And they begin to have a wonderful time. Isn't that a story? Jesus keeps going. That, that was enough, but Jesus keeps going. All this time, the older son was out in the field. When the day's work was done, he came in, and as he approached the house, he heard the music and the dancing, the wonderful time. Calling over to one of the houseboys, he asked, hey, what's going on? The houseboy says, your brother came home. Your dad ordered a feast, barbecue beef, because he has his home now. His son is home safe and sound. The older brother stomped off angry. He sulked and he refused to join in. Younger son, angry, goes his own way. Older son, angry, goes his own way. The father, in response to these moments of anger, pursues each son. His father came out and tried to talk to him, but the son wouldn't listen. The son said, look how many years I've stayed here serving you. I never give you one moment's grief. You've never thrown a party for me. Never thrown a party for my friends. Then this son of yours, not brother of mine, son of yours. Then this son of yours, who has thrown away your money on whores, shows up and you go all out. That's some beautiful anger right there, isn't it? Completely misplaced. His dad looks at him with compassion and says, Son, you don't understand. Let me just pause right there because we've got some time. I believe over my own life, this is a sentence that God has spoken to me repeatedly. Has he you? Son, you don't understand. I wonder if this that we see from God isn't his shame over our decisions or his disappointment in who we've been, but his compassion for us that we just don't get it. Right before he's motivated to act and do things for us, son, you don't understand. You're with me all the time. Everything that's mine is yours. This is a wonderful time, and we had to celebrate. Your brother was dead. Now he's alive. Your brother was lost. Now he's found. That is a story that should haunt us. That is a corrective story. Let's support this with some Bible. We're going to make the turn because I know you gentlemen got to get to work. Deal? Proverbs 16.32. Better to be patient than a warrior. You sure? According to the Bible, that's exactly what it says. It's better to be patient than a warrior. Better to have self-control than to dominate a city. Proverbs. 
Patience and self-control are listed as better options than being a warrior. So powerful that one man could dominate a city. I know this language is a little archaic because that's not how our culture works. So let me put it in modern language real quick. Better to be patient than a multimillionaire. Better to have self-control than the largest house in your subdivision. Proverbs 16. Why do I mention patience? Because I believe patience is one of the critical keys to defeating unhealthy anger in our story. So how do we take action today? Isn't that what you're asking? That's great, Ben. Cool speech and all the stuff. But when I see red, what do I do? That's the question we're asking, right? Right? How do we hear the words of Jesus through this story and not become like the two sons who distance ourselves from our father and his benefits when we become angry? Because that's exactly what happens. Let me give you a quick formula. You probably want to jot this down. You forget a lot of things, but these key words you'll remember. When you become angry, the first step is to acknowledge that you're angry. This slows us down. There's a big difference between saying to yourself, hey, I'm pretty angry here, and showing your anger to others. What I'm asking you to do is acknowledge internally that you're angry over something or at someone without being swift to act. If you were to ask me in my life, hey, Ben, where do most of your regrets live? I would say when I was swift to act when I was angry. Walking through Greyhawk one day, very public story. I don't, I don't want to say this, but I'm going to. I, f- I feel like God's asked me to, okay? Walking through Greyhawk and things going with my family, I start to see red, and before I know it, I've got my preteen son by the front of his shirt. My wife's in tears. It was an ugly moment, a moment I had to apologize for quickly. Got a lot of regret that lives there. I wonder... Is that a sin of the father that will be visited on my son? I'm asking you to acknowledge, not because I think it's just like a cool Bible pastoral thing to say. I'm trying to save you from that regret of swift action in your anger. There's great power in taking more time in the first step. Here's how the Bible puts it. Refrain from anger. That's pretty plain, isn't it? Turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. Can confirm. Anybody else? Can confirm. That's Psalm 37, 8. First, we acknowledge. Second, we acclimate. This is where the critical work happens. This is where the, the deer camp kind of work happens. The Roan and Phil sort of work. First, we acknowledge. Then we acclimate. The best way to describe this is to allow anger to sit with you. Allow it to be in your presence without feeling like you've got to take action and rush it out of the door. Be comfortable acclimating with anger. What would it have been like for this oldest son if he got angry and acclimated towards that anger, told himself he was angry, and then had a conversation with his father and said to his father, I don't, I don't get it. I'm so angry, but dad, dad, I don't get it. Please explain it to me. How would that conversation have gone? What if the youngest son had said, listen, I'm so angry over this life that you've provided for me, and we don't know the reasons why. I'm I'm so angry. I want to leave and never come back. 
That's how I'm feeling, Dad. Can we talk about that? Based on the posture of this father, what would the father have said? I'm asking you to personify anger in your story. Here's what I do. I'm, a, I'm about three clicks off. That's just how I operate. Ask my friends. I just don't participate in the world like most people. But when I get angry, I have learned to find a chair in my location and pull it up next to me and tell anger, sit down. You ever tell your kids that? Sit down. Thank you. I personify it. I give it place in my space. And then I start to ask it some questions. This will be the most important thing I say today. If you have a pen, pick it up and write these questions down. Deal? I look at anger and I ask it this, these couple of questions, just four questions. Why are you here, really? An indicator that whatever is on the surface that you're putting your anger to is probably not the real reason. Probably not your preteen son that cut his eyes at your wife. That's, that's probably not it. You're probably mad at your job, Ben. Your son's about to pay. Look at anger. Anger, why are you here, really? Now, notice the tone of my voice. I'm not a victim towards my anger. It, it listens to me. Make sense? <clears throat> I feel like this may be landing flat. Are you guys with me? You sure? I ask anger the second question. What is it that you're trying to tell me? Use your words, anger. What is it you're trying to tell me? Third question. This is a gut-wrenching question. Tell me the story, Anger, of how we met. Where, where did we first meet? I can take you to the moment. I won't do it here publicly, but I've shared it with my brothers inside of the hangar in my group. I can take you to the moment where I was introduced to Anger. I remember when we first met. These questions slow us down. Last question. If I do what you're telling me to do, Anger, be honest about what happens next. You tell me where the story ends. Then after that, acknowledge, acclimate, then act. Be a man of action. If you've done these first two steps, then you're ready to take action. If you've done these two previous things well, then you don't need anger as the fuel to drive your actions. It's done its job. Big statement here. Anger is best used for awareness. It is not best used for action. Anger is there to send us a signal, not to motivate our behavior. By the way, this is a great strategy for anything unhealthy in your life. Acknowledge it, acclimate to it, and then act. What is the antidote for anger? Is it peace? Peace is so elusive and fickle. Is it getting our way? Can't be, because we just don't get our way all the time, do we, gentlemen? Is it avoidance? Also a bad strategy. I've never spoken to a man that said, after I, after I pushed that drug and everything wore off, the anger was gone. You know why I found anger at the bottom of that bottle? I found anger's solution. I've never heard that story. Avoidance is a bad strategy. Anger's true antidote is actually patience. Proverbs 14, 29, whoever's patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. 
Again, that's the Bible. Thank God there are men and women who found me and looked through my brokenness and immaturity long enough to find my heart and give me the medicine it needed. I got a whole list here. David and Linda Derrick, a couple of coaches, Shaw, Gattuso, Blunt, David Cook, Jim Richardson, Phil Harden, Ron Hunter, Stephen Soller, Drew Cleek, Tim Bell. They were able to suspend their anger when they found me and reach into my heart. I want to propose to you today that there are people in your story when you leave here in 60 seconds, there are people in your story that need you to deal with your anger so that you can engage their heart. I'm talking about men around you at your workplace, and I'm especially talking about the people that you share a living space with. If we're going to be free to be men, then we've got to get rid of and process and handle anger as a valid emotion. It's there for a reason, but not the reason we use it for. Anger waits for us today. We must be willing to acknowledge it as part of our palate. But we have to receive the caution the Bible gives. God has a conversation with Cain in Genesis 4. I want you to dig into that as you go throughout your week. I love the language that the caring father uses. It's there waiting to pounce on you. You, you, Cain, must master it. So here's to the days ahead where we begin to master this emotion of anger. I believe that you can do it. And I guarantee, I believe more that you can do it than you can. How will you deal with anger today? Follow this strategy. Deal? All right, let's pray. God, this morning for this instruction, we're grateful. We admit, though, it is difficult. It feels way more holy than earthly. So I want to ask just right before we leave this room today that you would be with us supernaturally, that you would be that dad willing to meet us on the run back for those of us that are there and also being willing to chase us outside the party for those of us that are there. In our anger, God, we ask that you would meet us, that you would transform it, that you would do as we were reminded earlier today to call everything together for the good because we do love you, God, even if we don't express it well sometimes. Help us to be the men that you've called us to be today with the help of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a good day out there.